you are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simont, a game study scholar from Germany. And I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, the sweet smell of a new show. It's like ah, taking a freshly baked bun out of the oven. <laughs> yes, it's like, or cracking open a new book, that beautiful new smell. Or opening the package of a new video game, and it's like that sweet plastic odor that just <laughs> completely <laughs> ravishes your nose. My, my. I'm really looking forward to this. We've been working on it for quite a while, and uh, for you, dear listeners, of course, you know, come in, take a seat, have a cold or a hot drink, depending on what the weather situation is like for you right now. We're going to be around every week, um, and we will present to you a show that consists of, first of all, a main story, which will be kind of the focus point of, uh, of, of an episode. It's, we plan on making it roughly half an hour long. We'll see how that turns out in the long run. And then afterwards, the second half of the show will be filled by side quests. Right. And the side quests are you know stories that maybe popped up during the week that we wanted to make sure that we talked about. Um, different articles that we've read or experiences that we may have had gaming, things that maybe don't fit necessarily into the main story, but that we wanted to talk about regardless. Definitely, yeah. So it's a package. It's a pretty colorful package. It's one that we want to keep as accessible for you as possible. It is decisively a game studies and video game culture podcast because we want to keep things very open and just address the things that we find interesting, whether it's academic deep dives, reviews, news stories, anecdotes, whatever it may be. And of course, before we get started on our very first main story, uh, we want to point out to you that this is a free and independent podcast. We rely entirely on your support to make this happen and to get this project off the ground. That is why we want to offer you Studying Pixels Plus. This is essentially our Patreon program. And if you support us on Patreon, then you get three wonderful things. First, you get our sincere gratitude and the good feeling of supporting an independent show. Secondly, you get a lovely sticker. And I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying that it's a lovely <laughs> sticker because it says, I am studying pixels and it features our super cute mascot, potentially the cutest mascot in the world, Pixel Coon. And thirdly, you're going to get, and this is probably most important and most interesting to you, a monthly plus episode. And we're always going to announce transparently what we do for a plus episode in the free weekly podcasts. So for this month, we want to talk about what not to do when writing a term paper. As you know, as I've said in the intro, I am a game studies scholar, so I teach game studies at the university, and I've been correcting term papers for many years. And every time <laughs> when I have like a, a seminar and a batch of term papers, every time uh, the same mistakes pop up, mistakes that students regularly make and that are not necessary, that can easily be avoided. And in our Studying Pixels Plus episode, we're going to tell you about these mistakes and how not to make them. If you're interested in getting Studying Pixels Plus, then go to studyingpixels.com slash plus to find out more. Shall we head into our very first main story? I'm very excited to do it. <laughs> me, me too. We actually, I think neither of us really know what's going to happen because we thought that, of course, we need to introduce ourselves in some way to you out there. But introductions can be quite boring. Like, you don't need to hear our CV. If you want to find out more about us, then you can go to studyingpixels.com. We have an about us section uh, where you can read up a little bit on what we actually, who we are and what we do. But instead of just simply giving you facts, we thought we just mix it up a little bit. And we're going to play a tiny game of three truths and two lies, which means that each of us has prepared five stories. Three of them are true stories about our, I would say, like, gaming-related biography, you could say? Yeah, I think mine uh, mine are all about sort of my history through Japanese scholarship leading into video game love. So they're all very relevant, and I won't give any more hints because I don't want you <laughs> taking any kind of uh, any cue for what's true or maybe what isn't. Exactly, because that's the, that's the, the kicker. Two of these stories are going to be, to some degree, fabricated. And we have to 
figure out, and hopefully you can figure out that with us, uh, dear listeners, which of those stories are true and which of those stories are lies. Do you want to get started then? I'm a little bit too nervous to start off with mine. Oh, I will I will gladly start stuff on. Because, because I, <laughs> these are actually stories that we don't know of each other, right? Like these are all things Correct. that we haven't told each other so far. Yes, I, I you, you may be... I will confess because you know me, we know each other a little bit from prior endeavors. So yes. you may know a few of these, but I, I've, I've, okay. Uh, let me, let me get us started here so I can, uh, I'll, I'll kick us off with one that, um, uh, I, I want to see kind of your take on. So I initially learned Japanese by playing the original version of Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, which I asked a Japanese school friend to buy for me when she went home for Christmas. You initially learned Japanese. You mean that was your starting point of studying Japanese, birth by sleep? That was my kickoff. In the first month that I was taking Japanese in high school, I asked my friend to do this, and that's that was my primer into Japanese language. Well, I can buy that. I can believe that. I mean, I know that you're a, a big Kingdom Hearts fan, and it would certainly... Uh, not be far-fetched to assume that someone gets into Japanese through video games and it's just like, what is this language? I think I want to know more about this carried by the interest for the video game. Um, so I'm going to say it's true. You're 100% correct. That is true. <laughs> my, fr my friend, see, I know the, the Kingdom Hearts ones are going to be the ones that I'm interested to hear your takes on because <laughs> as Stefan said, I live and breathe that game series. But yep, my friend, uh, my friend Eriko, um, it, when I was going to high school with her, I asked her when this came out to pick up a copy. And um, she was telling me a story about how when she came back to the States, uh, customs gave her a lot of problems because of that game in her bag. And I don't know why. <laughs> is, is it illegal in the US? Or I don't know. I, I, maybe the region lock was too strong. I'm not sure what the problem was. So you can't bring this game into our country. <laughs> <laughs> it's, too, it's too convoluted. Get out of here. <laughs> so here's one from me. I once owned a Nintendo 3DS for one month and only for one month. Okay. Well, I have to ask what happened to it. <laughs> uh, I gave it away. I gave it away. Okay. Mm. Okay. Was it just because you didn't like it? Uh, I can say more about that after you've made your verdict on whether okay. this is a true or false story. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Well, I know, uh, to use your words, you are a Sony pony. You're I definitely am. Yeah. PlayStation. Yeah. So I, mm, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to say true. I think maybe you did give it up after a month. That is very much correct. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did give it up after a month. And actually, the thing is that I didn't even buy it. I, it was, uh, oh man, that was quite some years ago, like 12 years ago or something, 10, 12 years mm. ago. I participated in a sweepstake with a, like a, a printed video game magazine, you know, back then these still existed and they still exist, but nobody reads them anymore, unfortunately. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I participated in a sweepstake and it was not really, for me, it was not really about winning. It was just an interesting task. We had to write like a letter to uh, the editors or something and hmm. make it fun. And I just wanted to participate and I hadn't even considered what the prices would be. And then suddenly I won the main prize, which was a Nintendo 3DS with Fire Emblem. And I really, I, I had this thing in my hands. And at the time I was a big fan of the PS Vita. So I had a handheld device already. And I found the PS Vita quite amazing. And then I picked up this 3DS and it was like a piece of plastic. <laughs> I thought like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> is that it? <laughs> well, I, I'll i die on the hill that the PS Vita outshone the 3DS and a million different ways so i can i can understand your apprehension when you were picking up the 3ds for the first time oh yeah and it's it's not even it's like the games were amazing that the li game library was amazing on the 3ds but this also this three silly 3d functionality it was just it just gave me a headache i tried mm. to play i played fire emblem but fire emblem was also an excruciatingly tough game like it was a lot harder than what we've seen recently with fire emblem three houses right well, the old Fire Emblem games always felt like homework to me. Yeah. So I love the idea that you were given an assignment by this magazine to play <laughs> Fire Emblem. So after a month, I said, I've had enough. 
I'm going to give this thing away. I don't have the kind of enjoyment with it that other people would have. So, yeah, that was me. That was my, my one month in which I owned a Nintendo 3DS. True story. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of Nintendo, so when living in Tokyo, I had a beer with a lovely man who told me all about growing up in rural Japan. I later realized that man was Tajiri Satoshi, the creator of Pokemon. The creator? You had a beer with the creator of Pokemon? Yep, when I was living in Tokyo. Without, you didn't know that that was him, because obviously you, you did not know his, his name or couldn't identify him by his face. No, he was just sort of an older guy, and he saw that I had, I had a notebook out, because at the time I was doing sort of field research in, uh, in Tokyo, going to different shrines and things like this. And he was asking me about it, and he started telling me about growing up in like the Inaka, you know, very rural Japan. And then I put two and two together kind of afterwards because he had said a few things that, you know, he was very modest. He said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in entertainment or I'm in design and things like that. And so put two and two together and it was him. That must be a true story. Just because if only for the fact that a story that starts off with when I was living in Tokyo, that story <laughs> is most likely true regardless of what comes afterwards because anything is really possible. So I'm going to say that's true. I love your thinking, but I'm sorry to say that is not true. Oh, that, how is, that is a lie. How I know. I wish it were true. <laughs> See, I because I thought I I thought who would be because I know you know that I lived there, and I thought who would be a a, a celebrity enough that's believable. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, and it wouldn't even it wouldn't even strike me as odd if someone like the you know with a certain degree of humbleness, uh, like the creator of Pokemon. I I don't actually know that person at all and i've never seen any interviews or something of the sort but i could definitely imagine um to just you know play it cool and not mention in the like, do you know pikachu <laughs> that was me <laughs> <laughs> that really got me he's drawing on a napkin like hey recognize this guy that's all me baby <laughs> <laughs> well if we're going to talk about famous people then i've got one too um so i once uh, you know, I was in video game journalism before, before I studied video games and before I taught video games. Um, and I once recorded a preview, a video preview for the game Beyond Two Souls, a Quantic Dream game, while David Cage, the creator of such games like Heavy Rain, uh, Beyond Two Souls, uh, Human, no, what is it called? Detroit, uh, Become Human. Become Human. Yes. While David Cage was sitting right next to me. Oh, this is, again, for the same reason that, that you thought my story was true. I'm, I'm very tempted to call this true because I know, I know your history. And I also really love the idea of you sitting on a couch with David Cage and maybe <laughs> being less than enthralled. <laughs> so I'm going to say, I'm going to say that that's true. Yeah, that's right. It is true. It is a true That's story. true? Yes. Oh, I love this story. <laughs> it is a true oh, story. Man. But though I must say, it wasn't. It, w he wasn't sitting like on a couch next to me. I was standing. I was standing and he was sitting at a table next to me. He was, so he was out of the frame. But uh, this was at Gamescom, which is, you know, for all of you people who are living all over the globe, the I, cause I, I think it's like the biggest video game convention when you just count the people that go there. It's not I the most so. important one. Uh, internationally but it's the biggest one and uh, i was there as a journalist and i had an uh, an appointment to look at beyond two souls at this point i must say right now i'm much more skeptical of the work of david cage i'm much more critical yet at the time this was the time when heavy rain had just had its huge success right and everyone was hyped this was a, a truly amazing new thing what he was doing and uh, he present, uh, and I, I went into that theater of the Radisson Hotel, which is nearby the, the 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 exhibition area, and I knew I had that appointment, and I thought like, oh yeah, it's probably probably David Cage personally who presents this, and then he actually came in the room, and presented <laughs> the game and spoke about his wow. cooperation with uh, Ellen Page and so on, and um, I actually was torn in inside because, on the one hand, I wanted to go to him. And briefly speak to him, maybe take a picture. On the other hand, I was there as a journalist. And when I'm at 
at such an appointment as a journalist, I am one of the more uh, critical uh, journalists, right? I don't show <laughs> my own excitement for a game. Like I don't go to uh, to Activision with an Activision fan T-shirt or something because people do that. <laughs> people do that, yeah. but, but I don't. Now, while I was thinking about that, everyone else was already up there speaking to him. <laughs> so I thought, never mind, I'm just going to go. I, so I went to him, I shook his hand, I spoke to him briefly, I took a picture with him. And afterwards, I went outside to record that video preview to, you know, talk about my impressions of what I had just seen. And he was having a coffee right next to me on the table. And it was making me so nervous because I had never been in that situation before. That was really a very memorable experience. That's, say what, well, to your point, that's an incredible story. But say what you will about David Cage and his work. I mean, it's definitely, it, it, it is unto itself interesting what he's what he's put together so to sit and have a coffee with him <laughs> I, I think that back then i was so flashed by by what he did with heavy rain or what the entire team at quantity dream did with heavy rain and i know there are so many things about it to poke at and to make fun of and to legitimately very legitimately criticize about heavy rain but for what it's worth at the time it was to me an incredibly important and impactful video game well, I think, I think that's all that matters too. And I think that's why, um, there's been so much joking about his work after that is because maybe it, it's put that in retrospect, but yeah, I agree. Heavy rain is a, a credit an, an incredible experience, especially at the time. Well, moving, moving swiftly on from incredible experiences. Um, while I was walking through the mountains of Nagoya, I had to hide from a bear that was blocking my path. Oh, wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> from a bear. So, from a bear. Yep. This is not video game related necessarily, but uh, it is <laughs> Japanese related. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I don't even know whether there are bears in Japan. I can tell you without giving away my answer that there are bears in Japan. There are bears in Japan. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to say... That is probably, that is probably true just because it's a story, like I'm thinking, thinking strategically, it is a story that's not directly related to video games. It's probably one where you thought while writing this up, like, oh man, I still need one truth in there. So <laughs> I'm going to say it's true. <laughs> well, you've hit the nail on the head exactly. <laughs> <laughs> with how I put that in there. So yes, it is not only true, but it was also, oh, this will be fun to throw in there. I, <laughs> but yes, when I was uh, the first time I went, um, I recreated an old highway called the Nakasendo. And I walked that through Japan and um, in a little area between uh, two, two villages, Magome and uh, Tsumago, I was walking and there were signs all over the place. And they said there were bells. And when you walked near the bells, it would say uh, in kind of broken English, you know, ring bell to scare away wildlife. And so every time you would walk past it, you would have to ring a bell. It's kind of like what monks used to do with, with their staves. They would have sort of jingling metal bits to keep snakes and things away. So I was walking and I got to a very open stretch where I could see probably, I don't know, like, uh, you know, very, very far ahead of me. It was very wide open. And I saw in the very in the distance there was a black bear that was just sort of sitting there, and so I got to the side of the path and just kept an eye on it and waited for it to go elsewhere, and then made very quick tracks away from it. Wow, bears are quite territorial, right? Well, that's what I I'll, all I remember of bears is that if if they're a mother bear and they have their kids, then you're good. You're as good as gone. So. Wow. A bear Kept can. My distance. I, I've actually never encountered a bear, but I imagine it to be quite an intimidating encounter. Well, this one was far enough away that it looked small, but I'm sure that wasn't the case. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so apparently we have like invisible categories here that we actually hadn't thought about because I've also got one on the subject of misfortune. <laughs> 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 so here's my story. Um, I once broke a controller, a video game controller, by accidentally, accidentally throwing it out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, accidentally, a likely story, Stefan. <laughs> um, okay. Can I ask, 
just for my own edification, what kind of controller was it? It was a PS3 controller. PS3. Mm, okay. PlayStation 3, yeah. Hmm. I accidentally out a window. I'm I'm going to say just because I don't know if I can picture you doing that, I'm going to say that this is a lie. Yeah, right on point. Ah, it's okay. A, it is a lie. It is a lie. <laughs> um you you are very much right. You know me well because I am not the kind of person to throw things. Um and like uh, <laughs> I think certainly not out a window. Certainly not out the window and especially if like I think the only point ever where I threw a controller that was when I was playing a horror game and I was so scared that I accidentally threw it. But but this one is actually, the story is true, but it didn't happen to me and it doesn't suit my character, which is why I, I, I brought it. But it actually did happen to a former colleague of mine who was playing a video game and who was getting like super frustrated and he was the kind of person to throw things. So he, <laughs> he was like, he got up and he had within the, he had this, this, you know, this impulse to throw the controller like many people do. It's not uncommon, but he was aware enough in that moment that he needed to throw it on something soft. Otherwise it would break. So he threw it on his bed. What he didn't consider is that the window over the bed was open. <laughs> so the controller is just like out of the window. And I only, I love that idea of like you're walking down along the sidewalk and you hear from an open window like, <laughs> and then you see the controller flying out. <laughs> oh, I love the I love the the um the measured response of I'm going to throw this on a bed and having that completely backfire. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it is it is a true story but it didn't happen to me. That's fantastic. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to break our string of having uh having connected stories here, but I will say that when I was in my 3rd year at university, I took freelance work translating video games from Japanese to English. My name appears in the credits of Persona 5 under Danny because that's what my Japanese friends called me. No, man. You can't be in the credits of Persona 5. <laughs> uh, nothing gets past you. I was thinking, I was, <laughs> I was thinking, I'll throw, okay, because there's, there's two truths in there. I did freelance work and I was called Danny. That was my nickname in Japan. But I, yeah, I'm not in Persona 5. I think, I mean, it's not like I know the credits of Persona 5 by heart. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that would be something, uh, oh man. I, I mean, it's not entirely unlikely that such a thing would happen in the future. I definitely had the experience that, you know, um, friends of mine have appeared in the credits of video games. And I wasn't aware that they had been, you know... Uh, usually more indirectly involved with the project, such as, you know, coordinating an institution that funded the game to a certain degree. And then I would, you know, like the credits would roll and it's like, huh? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, I, one of my, uh, she wasn't, she didn't teach me Japanese, but she was a, a Japanese teacher of mine. She was from uh, California. Um, and she, she did freelance work. And I would, uh, I would have a game with her where I would name a game and I would ask if she had anything to do with it. And she had basically from the years 1996 to 2002, if you named a game, she had done some kind of translation work on it, like little little bits and pieces. And so I thought maybe maybe I could get stuff on with that. And that, that but that is an amazing thing to do. And I could totally see you doing something like that in the future somewhere down the line. Well, listen, Atlas... My contact information is on the website. Feel free to reach out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to let them know as soon as my my Japanese is up to scratch. It's uh, There you go. I, I'm not quite there, but maybe for just for for everyone obviously you're a Japanese scholar so you're fluent in Japanese and I I'm like I think I want to say I'm on B1 level. So just at the entrance level of uh advanced, is that is that an adequate assertion? I think so. I mean, you know my Japanese yeah. a little bit, so I'm I'm not quite at the beginner's level entirely, but no, you're certainly yeah. past beginner's stuff. On <laughs> you should give yourself some credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it, there's still so it's such a long road to travel, and I'm really looking forward to it. Though um, we're going to go into Japanese and video games a little bit uh, further along the line. Now, here's my fourth story, actually also a university story, because um, in one of my classes. Uh, when I was teaching, I gave the students uh, a task, homework, 
And that homework was to play and win a Fortnite game. And despite them never having played Fortnite before, they actually won a Fortnite game. Okay. I, I know that you've had, you've shared similar stories of, of assignments or ways to think about video games. And I'm thinking about what the, maybe what the lesson would have been with, with winning Fortnite. So I'm, I'm going to say, okay, cause now we're, we're down. It could be half and half cause I've been doing the math. So this is either, yeah, yeah. we have one truth and one lie left. Exactly. I, I think this is true. Mm, and you would be right with that. It is true. Okay, then you you need to tell me what the what the lesson was for this for yeah. this assignment. Well, I think um, I mean the the assignment was actually on on ideologies and you know basically the philosophy of battle royale. That's what the what the lesson ah. was all about. Talking about basically what is the logic behind battle royale and what does it mean you know for the idea of competition to which degree does a certain factor of luck and randomness uh influence it and how is it um maybe applicable as a, a construct of uh, a social microcosm you could say mm. um, battle royale and i always try to encourage my students i want to get them to really play a game not just try a game because that's a problem if you say um try and play some Fortnite, then that means 80 percent of the students they're going to just install the app because it's you know it's free on on pretty much all platforms and they're going to play like half a game and then they're going to be like oh this is boring this is hard i don't want to but i thought it's different if i say win a game there was no reward yeah. for actually winning the game but it was just the assignment and it actually gave the students motivation enough to team up in groups and one group managed to win by simply hiding all the time in Fortnite because obviously they couldn't learn the game it's it's super right. hard to win a Fortnite game but they were just hiding and this you know this impending circle that would eradicate all other players did the work for them so they actually managed they were the only group to actually manage to win a Fortnite game what a what a great exercise and not only giving somebody incentive to actually look into a game but then also seeing how different people react in a game that they might not play yeah that's that's really cool it is this kind of approach that if you if you want to experience battle royale then you need to get into it with the desire to win and not to simply this this is often a problem from a researcher's perspective it is very tempting to just stay on the sidelines and just think about what it might be to play this game but you need to get into the meat of the thing in order to properly understand uh, what it is and actually have the experience yeah well i love that i think uh i think i would have been very happy in your class if i were at <laughs> university <laughs> all right well my my final story is uh, very simple i have only one tattoo and it is a symbol from the kingdom hearts series and that is a true story because i've identified the two lies already yes but obviously you must share now what kind of tattoo is it and where <laughs> well so it's uh it's right on uh nowhere fun i'm afraid it's right, <laughs> it's right it's right on my um my right hand wrist um and it's a it's a symbol um from birth by sleep it's the symbol of one of the the master characters and it's used in the game as kind of a um, kind of a wayfinder for the characters to find their way home, and the reason I got it was less about Kingdom Hearts and more because when I was in high school, um, three of my very close friends and I did a radio show, and we used a lot of music from different video games, and one of the more impactful uh, soundtracks that we used was from Birth by Sleep, so I got it as sort of a reminder of those friends and the connection that I had with them through that game and through the music. So it's not, it's not all just obsession. Sometimes there is real life <laughs> connection behind it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Kingdom Hearts is also very much a game about friendship, right? So I, I really, I really love that story. That's so heartwarming. It was, uh, I, I was talking to one of my friends, Jeff, actually, who was, uh, just recently saw him a few weeks ago and we were, we were talking about that. So it's a lovely reminder of a very lovely time. 
Oh, wonderful. What a wholesome story. And I'm going to ruin it now with some kind of nerdy little <laughs> <laughs> insignificant thing. <laughs> so uh, We can tease some sentimentality out of it, I'm sure. <laughs> so here's the last one. Um, I caused a controversy once by reviewing the game Journey and giving it a particularly low score. Oh no, have I lost? No, no, I think, because the last one was true, so this one, this one must be false. That is very uh, much correct, yeah. Okay, but I could, this is, this is the funny thing, because if we hadn't, if that hadn't been last, I think I may have believed it. Mm, yeah, because it is so close to reality. Yeah. Um, it, I, I did review Journey when it came out for a big video game outlet in, in Germany, and I did cause a controversy, but not because of rating it too low, but because of rating it 100 out of 100. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of caused a, a big debate on that particular platform around whether it's even possible for a game. Can a game be perfect? Does it need to be perfect to get a 100 out of 100? And should we even give numbers to video games and, and rate them in that way? Um, so it caused like a pretty big debate that afterwards led to some changes in the rating system. And um, I'm very glad that I did that because I still think I haven't found anything that I would criticize on that game company's <laughs> uh, journey. It's one of my most... It prob I probably have a connection to journeys similar to the connection that you have with Kingdom Hearts. Because it is also Journey is also the kind of game because we want to end on a sentimental note. We just said, right? Um, yes. If if there's ever a time when I feel like low and when I feel under the weather and when especially at times of you know political turmoil, personal turmoil, such things, then Journey is for me always a game that gives me hope and that just has this glimpse. It just is this glimpse of there is something like true beauty in this world like something that is just truly and purely good and and that's what journey means to me i i'm very touched by that and i think that uh i think we have an idea for a future episode because games that have that evoke that feeling are precious and i think uh what a lovely way to end it stefan <laughs> uh comfort games i'm gonna note that down for future episodes um and uh, i hope dear listeners i hope you were able to guess along please let us know uh, what you thought of these stories and whether you got it right, you can always email us at podcast at studyingpixels.com. And in the meantime, as we announced in the beginning already, we're going to move ahead and do some side quests. As we already said in our side quests, we're going to talk about news stories. And so far, we consider them interesting and relevant, or we might talk about anecdotal experiences from video games, give short reviews, and many other things. It's really like an open playing field. And we've got a couple of interesting stories. Just bear in mind, dear listeners, that we are recording this very first episode a little bit in advance of our usual schedule. So it might be that we are, as, as this comes out, a little bit behind on the actual flow of discourse. This is not what usually is going to happen, but we need some extra time in order to test the workflows and everything because this is a brand new podcast operation. So yeah, uh, bear with us here. And from next week onwards, we will obviously be a little bit more closely connected to what's going on right now at the moment. But we've got some particularly interesting things that might accompany us for a certain time, at least. Number one, Dan. Yes, well, uh, you know, you've mentioned that maybe we'll be a little bit behind, but I think it's good to kind of stake our position in this particular topic, especially since uh, I, I did introduce myself as a Japanese scholar from Texas. So um, recently, as of this recording in Texas, um, a fairly heinous um, bill has been put into practice in Texas. Um, it's an anti-abortion law, which allows abortion uh, for... So first of all, there's a few prongs to it. The first one is it makes the, the window for abortions very, very, very small. So it's after six weeks. Um, it, it can't be performed. But more... In, more insane than that, I think, is that there is a basically a bounty system placed out for if you 
if as a citizen you tell somebody that someone you know has gotten an abortion, then I think you get ten thousand dollars. It's it's a bounty system. It's uh, it, it to me it's um it's sadly first of all it's it's unbelievable, but it's sadly kind of believable in the way that the past few years have been going in the states, especially. Um, and Texas has always had kind of a uh, reputation for being a little a little more than a little behind the curve when it comes to progressivism. So I think that um, it's unconscionable. Um, I would go so far as to say that it's evil, um, but I don't know that we want to go into such moral... Uh, well, no, I, I do. <laughs> I think it's evil. <laughs> and I think that... Um, so that that's well, that. Maybe if, if I can briefly comment on that as well, because I, I do definitely agree with you. And I, I think that it's, uh, it is particularly obscure considering that many people don't find out about their pregnancy before these six weeks are basically up. So that means uh, unless you are in some degree uh, lucky enough and belong to, a, as far as I'm aware, relatively small percentage of women who find out about their pregnancy very early on, possibly by coincidence or something like that, then that means that it is effectively making abortions uh, illegal. Yes. And, and and this is just this is just uh, for me this is just incomprehensible, especially from a German perspective where we handle. There still there are controversies around the abortion laws here as well, but it's nowhere as strict as this law is in Texas. Yes, I, I think that you know often I'm getting to the age now where uh, I'll try to. When I was younger, I would try to maybe not rationalize these decisions, but try to understand the the ulterior motive behind it, because a lot of times in American politics, the ulterior motive is that someone is making money off of this. And this is a case where I couldn't find that. And it just boils down to um, cruelty and hatred of women. As far as I'm concerned, I can't come up with a, a, a reason other than that. And so how does this intersect with video games? You may be wondering as we've kind of dropped this you know, this take on you guys. Well, the CEO of Tripwire Interactive, um, John Gibson, um, has recently stepped down because he he basically tweeted um, in support of this bill. And uh, the article that I've brought is from Kotaku, written by Luke Plunkett. Um, and it, it details what he said and then the, the immediate fallout of it. Um, and what I wanted to bring up about this is that I, I think that it's good that he's stepped down. Um, not, and, and this may be, this may be kind of the, the spicy take on this stuff on, I think not just because of what he said, but because of the way that he has implicated the many, many other people working at that company who did not get a say in what he was going to say. And by, by association with him are now tainted by this uh, comment. And I but think but that, what exactly did he say? So I can read it verbatim. So he said, yes, yes, please. It's just yes. a tweet, right? Yes. This is a tweet that he, uh, that Gibson um, wrote on the 5th of September. He said, proud of hashtag us Supreme court, affirming the Texas law, banning abortion for babies with a heartbeat as an entertainer. I don't get political often. Yet with so many vocal peers on the other side of this issue, I felt it was important to go on the record as a pro-life game developer. And to me, the, the sentiment behind that tweet in a less heinous situation, I could almost understand. But in the case here, where it's such a, I mean... Uh, really like a, a just a draconian law that's that's going into place on top of um on top of the weird bounty that's also set up it it puts him in this light of well now i now i question all of your political motives i i think when you get on board with something i wonder truly how how far does your thought go into that and i think that uh like I said, beyond just his comments, I mean, game studios are not just the CEO. There are many, many, many people. And maybe upliftingly, 
um, there seemed to have been some internal backlash uh, at Tripwire for for those comments. So he is stepping down. Um, yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, it's uh, apparently after he tweeted this, he tweeted this on his private Twitter, right? So that was not a, a company Twitter, but his private Twitter account. That's but right. Af afterwards, companies such as uh, Shipwright Studios, like companies that were partnering with the uh, with the uh, Tripwire developer studio, they uh, basically announced that they would not want to cooperate with Tripwire anymore because of the CEO's statements. And so we don't know what happened behind the scenes. We don't know whether... Uh, like sometimes this can be a thing where it is literally the, he said something, then consequences are taken from other companies, and then it's like, hey, okay, you gotta leave the company or you gotta step down from the CEO position at least. Otherwise, this is gonna have tremendous economic consequences for us. Mm. Or it can be this is this has also happened in the past when someone basically says, uh, "I want to leave anyway." You know, <laughs> I don't care <laughs> about this position anymore. This is this is sometimes when it, it is peculiar to me that, like he he would make that statement, and he would surely be aware that as a CEO of that company that this is going to have repercussions, whether that is right or not. He must have been aware that there would be backlash and that he would put his CEO position into jeopardy over saying over such a comment. That's an interesting take. I do wonder how much of these are, uh, <laughs> how much of these are used strategically maybe to get out of a position or, or burn the bridge as you walk across it or something like that. I, what a, I mean, it's, it's one, it's one way to do it, I suppose. But I think that and this is something I know that we'll get into as these episodes progress. But, um, you know, I, I think I can speak for both of us when I say that, uh, you know, video game workers' rights are very important, especially nowadays. And this just strikes me as another example of people having to pick up the pieces. So yeah, maybe he did say, this is how I'll do my exit. But all of the, first of all, all of the harm that's done with the tweet, but then also all of the wake that is left behind him for that company to kind of, you know, people who just work nine to five jobs at, in, at a tripwire who all of a sudden have to deal with this every day. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually really, uh, I'm, there are two hearts. Oh, in my chest on, on this matter. <laughs> I must admit I'm, I'm on the one hand, I think, um, it is perfectly, uh, correct that he steps down as his position of a CEO. It might have even been that he did that. Well, not necessarily deliberately, but that he was anticipating it. He knew that it could happen and it was just important to him. So it was his own choice to make, um, considering all factors. And I do think that for Tripwire, the consequences in the long run are not going to be that severe. They already put out a statement. They said that mm. the comments given by John Gibson are of his own opinion and do not reflect those of Tripwire Interactive as a company end quote. So I think they're going to come out of this uh, just fine. Um, what I do wonder, though, is to which degree we can consider the political opinions someone utters on Twitter, on their private Twitter feed, um, as something that should have a consequence and an impact on what they do in their professional life. Because for what it's worth, I would say, he didn't. He he did on this Twitter post. He spoke as a private person and not in his function of a CEO. He did say he was an entertainer and he was working in video games, but he didn't say like he didn't in, imply that he would speak on behalf of the company. It's it's funny because I'm inclined to agree with you on that in the sense that there should be maybe two masks that a person in that position wears. Right? There's the the mask that they wear as the CEO of Tripwire. And then the mask is private citizen John Gibson. What I what I wonder about though um, is that how how much do we live in a world where those inextricably bleed together now? Mm. And that I don't know if I'm necessarily for that in every instance because I think it is detrimental in a lot of different instances. But in a case like this, I wonder you know, to, to what degree are you, what, to what degree do you have that platform because of that position? And therefore, should you take responsibility privately for the kind of, you know, voice that you have because of this? It's, it's a strange minefield to navigate, but I think that to me, it is, 
I, I've never been able to to set up a a structured thought for every different situ- for every situation that comes up. I always take it case by case, and I think maybe because I'm so close to it in Texas, this one to me, I say, all right, well, I think it's good he's stepping down. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do. I do definitely. Uh, want to make absolutely clear that when I'm uh, when I'm defending this uh, position of saying he sh- he should be able to utter his opinion on his own Twitter feed, I'm not at all implying that I agree with him or that I find this law in any way acceptable mm. uh, or this bill. But, no, I didn't um, mean to imply that. <laughs> yeah, it's just because such things can can easily uh, be misread, and I I just want to. I'm not saying that it's wrong that he stepped down. I think for what it's worth, um, it might be perfectly fine. He he probably knew that such a thing might happen at least. And I think it's a very fair point to make to say that the audience that he has on his private Twitter account is very closely linked to the fact that he is the CEO of Tripwire and not just any kind of rando. <laughs> at the same time, I do think there must be some leeway for for someone who is, let's say, in a situation of being a CEO or leading a company or being in any kind of a public persona to also have um, like a form of private political opinion that they can discuss online. Because the problem that otherwise might be created is that such people, especially such people that um, that are on the side of conservatism, um, on right-wing politics, on nationalism, misogyny... Um, it can be quite dangerous to push them out and basically affirming their idea of, you know, being a suppressed minority that they can't have their opinion. So I think That's it's a good a, point. It's I think it's very, very, um, very much on point and very I would very much agree with what you said. I think it must be ascertained on a case by case basis. And in this case, I would say it is probably legitimate that he stepped down. That's a that's a really great point that you bring up kind of uh <laughs> the idea of creating the villain as you as you give backlash to them in a sense where they sort of step into the role um yeah i think that uh it's i i'm i'm very on the fence about um how people talk about free speech in america mm. because in the last few years um there seems to be a a lean towards uh well, actually, there's a there's a comment on this article. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I I thought it kind of succinctly summed up how I how I generally feel about these situations. It's a comment by UCM Coyote, and they say he has a right to those opinions and to not be jailed for them as a protection granted under the First Amendment. He also has the right to face social, economic, and employment consequences of those beliefs when shared to the general public especially when your role is highly visible and a face for the company. Yeah. I, I, I do think freedom of speech does not mean freedom from consequences. And I, I think I'll stake my position there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think it's, it is also absolutely important that there is counter speech and that um, I, I scrolled through his Twitter feed um, and the, the comments that he got on there. And it seems like there are at least a lot of people who are not happy with what he said and who very strongly criticize his position. And I think that, to me, is most important, that such a statement doesn't just stand there on its own, but as soon as you scroll Mm. down, you can see, like, okay, there's actually a lot of disagreement with that. So, yeah, I I, I think uh, that is, in that sense, reassuring that we have that kind of flow of discourse where still people are like, hey, no, this is really not acceptable, you know? Yeah. Now, do do I think this person should be, you know, do I think this person should be hunted down and stripped of everything? Of course not. I don't believe that for for anybody, but um, you know, just the consequences to fit the action perhaps, I think commensurate with your position kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, and try to whenever I always try to go by the rule of thumb of saying if I encounter such a situation, then try to persuade the person, try to point out where they are wrong, where it's harmful what they say, and give them an out. This is absolutely important. Don't try to push them into a corner. Don't try to say like uh, you're a misogynist and so. It might be true for what it's worth, right? (laughs) But uh, try to give them an out. Try to give them the possibility to say like. what you're what you said there is not correct because of this and this 
but try to encourage them to maybe think about the issue a little bit more, think about what it means for a person who gets pregnant um, under this bill. And maybe then we have a chance of, you know, balancing out such, uh, such opinions. Yeah, well said. Number two, let's talk about Horizon Forbidden West. Yes, um, let's. Very peculiar issue. Um, of course, Horizon um, Zero Dawn was one of the most anticipated, uh, one of the most um, praised and critically acclaimed games of the PS4 generation. And now, uh, Horizon Forbidden West, the sequel, is inbound. It's going to come out on February eighteenth, twenty twenty-two. A little bit delayed due to the Corona pandemic. It's obviously very anticipated, much anticipated PlayStation exclusive and urgently necessary for its current library. However, yeah, there are some, sure. yeah. <laughs> the thing is, Horizon Forbidden West is going to come out for the PS4 and for the PS5. That's fine, right? As many games these days do. However, many people have yet to get their hands on a PS5. Dan, you and me, we are amongst the lucky ones who actually have been playing the PS5 diligently for months but yes. not everyone has had this opportunity some people are still waiting a lot of people are still waiting so they, you might think okay so what if you can't get a ps5 by the time horizon forbidden west comes out well you can buy it on ps4 and then you can upgrade to the ps5 version as soon as you get the console not just quite i mean it's not that simple because sony initially announced that yes, you can purchase a PS4 version of a game and upgrade to a PS5 version for free. However, this does not apply to the Horizon Forbidden West standard and special edition. Instead, you need to get one of the three specific editions that allows this, which is the Digital Deluxe Edition for $80, the Collector's Edition for $200, or the Regala edition for $260. That's a whooping price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably not corrected for inflation yet or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously fans were not happy. There was quite a lot of backlash. Um, because, yeah, Sony did initially state that there would be upgrade possibilities. So Jim Ryan, the CEO of Sony Interactive, uh, Interactive Entertainment, went ahead and reverted this kind of... Uh, decision. He said, quote, it's abundantly clear that the offerings we confirmed in our pre-order kickoff missed the mark, end quote. So they actually did a full-on turnaround. Now you can upgrade from the PS4 to the PS5 version for free from all versions that you can buy. With the obvious exception, which is the case uh, for all of these, uh, of these situations that you can't upgrade from a PS4 disc version to a PS5 digital version. You know, the PS5 is available without a disc drive. I have such a console. And that means if you have a disc for a PS4 game, you can't upgrade to a PS5 digital version. Mm. It, it's, it's quite messy. The, the entire uh, purchasing process of Horizon Forbidden West has at this point its own FAQ, which is, uh, <laughs> frankly, I think quite ridiculous if you need to read through an FAQ how to purchase a game. Uh, uh. We obviously Also, this is true for all other side quests. We obviously link all of the sources that we have on them in the show notes. Um, and so now we could technically be happy and say, well, all is fair in the end. Uh, it, now you can upgrade with whatever version you buy. However, at the same time, and this is the point now, Jim Ryan announced, quote, I also want to confirm today that moving forward, PlayStation first-party exclusive cross-gen titles, so those games that are newly releasing on PS4 and PS5, both digital and physical, will offer a $10 digital upgrade option from PS4 to PS5. This will apply to the next God of War and Gran Turismo 7 and any other exclusive cross-gen PS4 and PS5 title published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. End quote. So, what he essentially says is no free upgrades anymore. This is an exception now because of the backlash. Yeah, you got us hence, this time. 
yes, you got us this time. We tried to introduce it. We tried to sneak it in there and saying like, hey, here's the release date. And by the way, you only have to spend (laughs) $10 more to have both versions. Well, now this is exactly what is going to happen. So it can't be celebrated as a victory, basically, over the initial policy. Because henceforth, if you buy a game on PS4, you can upgrade to the PS5 version, but you need to pay $10. So to me, it kind of feels like a kiss with a fist. <laughs> I think that's the perfect description of it. <laughs> it it does, uh, it. this happens so often too, and it's fun to, it's almost fun to see it in the new and interesting ways that that video game companies and, and hardware companies will do this, where um, when he you, you brought up the quote, um, we missed the mark, which is very, you know, corporate speak for you caught us, right? Hmm. It, that's, that's how it feels to me. And I think that I, I guess I, on the one hand, I, I don't know that I, I don't like that digit. I don't like that upgrade fee, but on the other hand, at least they've laid out their position now. And so we, unless they try to sneak something in, in the future, at least that's pretty transparent, but who knows? I mean, it, you know, I, I'm reminded of, um, do you remember how strange the Final Fantasy VII remake intergrade situation was? Oh yeah, where you could only upgrade or you could only get it from certain versions or something yes. like that. It was it was very. I don't even remember. I would need an FAQ for that because I don't remember how that worked. But I do remember that it was very convoluted, and I wonder how much of it is they just don't know how to they don't know how to navigate that uh, without fear of them losing money on things and i wonder if that's just the the thought behind it that is but that is really sad considering that how xbox is handling things in comparison because Mm -hmm. there as far as i'm aware i don't have an xbox but as far as i'm aware upgrading things is pretty easy and i do love the i mean fair enough PS5 games by default cost 10 euro more, $10 more than the PS4 versions. So I think for what it's worth, it's fine. And and I think that $10 upgrade is legitimate. It corrects for some things and how the market flowed over the last recent years on stagnating video game prices. And sure enough, I'd rather pay uh, like $70 for a full priced game that is is, uh, like bulletproof when it comes to all its features and doesn't have any kind of microtransactions. but it also leads to such uh, such weird curiosities. And I think that's probably what Sony was initially trying to avoid that right now. Because you can purchase the PS4 version of Horizon Forbidden West and upgrade to PS5 version for free. That means it is actually cheaper to buy the PS4 version and upgrade for free. And then you even have both versions of the game as to just purchasing the PS5 version, which doesn't get you the PS4 version. So I think it's kind of this paradox that they were trying to navigate and sneakily introduce that $10 fee. And I would have loved, just as you said, I don't have a problem with the $10 uh, price tag or the fact that PS5 games are $10 more expensive, but I think it's about just being honest and being transparent and being like, I know we promised this, but it's hard to implement because of this difference in prices and we do need to increase the prices because otherwise it's not feasible for us to produce the quality of games that we want to. Please be understanding of this. And then we can move on with the conversation. But this way of sneakily introducing it by being like, hey, you need to buy this edition or that edition and then you can upgrade and with this edition and that you can't, it's it's too all over the place. Well, what's what's interesting to me is that I don't know what the thought, obviously I don't know what goes into their heads when they do these things or when they make these marketing decisions. But I do wonder, you know, with the, the history of people who play video games kind of needling things like this Mm. to think that it gets through so many stages that it is announced to the public without the idea that, Hey, I think they might hate this. (laughs) I think they might give (laughs) us some backlash on this just based on the last 20 years of video game discourse they might be upset with the way that we're doing this because I, I agree. I think if they, if they had come out and said exactly like you said, Stefan, these games, you know, video games have cost $60, 60 euro for the past, what I think 30, 40 years, a long like time, that. Yeah. long time. And the scope of games have gotten so gigantic and there's so many people working on them that you do think, well, listen, going back to the kind of, the video game workers 
you know, rights and things like this. If, if $70 means maybe fewer crunches or something like that, if you, if you pitch that to people that we were hiking the price up so that we can make these games better and in, you know, more timely ways so that everybody's a little bit happier. I can't imagine people would be that upset if they were transparent that way. Especially if you see, scroll through the PS5 store and you see such titles like, you know, Returnal and uh, Ratchet and Clank and uh, certainly also Horizon Forbidden West. I have no doubt that this will be a very wonderful game. I loved the first one and I think this is going to be a, a great treat. And it's fair, I think. It's only fair to say we've we've put in all this additional stuff. We did all the additional work on fine-tuning this. It must be then a refined game with please, please, God, no additional transactions. <laughs> and, and then I'm fine with, if if I have to purchase just the base version, like how it is with, you know, something like Assassin's Creed, where you, where you buy something for like $80 <laughs> and then you get yeah. basically just the framework <laughs> of what could, could soon be a video game. Im imagine but, if no. <laughs> there were a game here. <laughs> Imagine, yeah. <laughs> Just please check our upgrade plans. This is this is also a thing. Like uh, this, this is also a problem that if we, if the stakes or if the procedure is so complicated that it requires an FAQ to know which kind of version to buy in order to get what you actually wanted, um, then this is already complicated and convoluted to navigate for people like us. But how must it be for people who just don't follow these things at all and just say like, hey, I would really love to buy this game. And you open up the storefront and you see like, okay, apparently there are five different versions and it, it's just overwhelming. You, you know what I what I think of too is um, when, when my parents bought me a PlayStation, the first PlayStation, um, they had no idea that it needed a memory card. Yeah, And so it was one of those situations where I think probably a month or two after I got my PlayStation, I couldn't save any games. And all I can think of is the kids now with parents navigating, buying the next big game and having to figure all this out. Just imagine that poor kid or I don't know, young teenager opening up, uh, <laughs> opening up this game and realizing, oh, I can't play this. Thank you for the $70 brick that you got me, mom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Then it's like, uh, but mom, I you mustn't forget. I need Horizon Forbidden West. I need this a special edition. And then mother says, like, I would like to have the Horizon Forbidden West special edition, please. Thank you. Here's the money. And then it's like, well, but the special which edition one? is not eligible. <laughs> yeah. Which one? <laughs> well, what do you have? Well, it's like uh, all these different prices. And it's oh my goodness. Anyhow, we're running. Uh, we're running out of time, and that's why I was. Uh, wondering, Dan, would you like to close things off? I, I, I have a, a, a tiny story, a tiny curiosity here that I could drop in here to conclude the show for, for this week. Would you be interested in that one? I would be very interested. Because this one is just, I just gave it the title, Where the Hell is GTA 6? It's a very short and very curious one. Um, so uh, there's a German TV show. This is about German television. And any kind of story about German television is great. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is about uh, the German TV show Schlag den Star. It's called Beat the Star, basically. And it's a quiz and, and game show where ordinary people compete against famous people. Right? And so you can win, win something, win money or whatever. I don't know. I never really watched the show. But the interesting thing is that while the contestant, the new contestant, was introduced and there was like this hosting segment, you know, on live TV... And suddenly, a young man runs on stage, interrupting the entire show, and he turns to the host and yells at him, Where the hell is GTA 6? I've been waiting eight years for GTA 6. And just for context, that host, he's a comedian, like he's nothing to do <laughs> with Rockstar Games or GTA 6. <laughs> it's completely unconnected. Uh, the contestant is clearly flustered and, and she's like quite insecure. Is that uh, the next question? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> when, when will GTA 6 come out? Uh, but the, the man, he, he demands for the host to actually just to scream into the camera where the hell GTA 6 is on his behalf. Um, but the host, he keeps his cool and he replies, this is a, my translation, he replies, quote, no, I don't have to do that. I haven't even finished GTA 5 yet. 
<laughs> can you can you imagine being that cool under pressure? If somebody ran on stage and screamed at me to come up with a zinger like that, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, afterwards the security uh, the security guided the man off stage, and he just just went like that. We don't know. Was it a PR stunt, or was it just like some rando who saw his opportunity to? run on live television for whatever reason or maybe he really just wanted to play gta 6 really badly yeah um but it's it's quite curious and if you dear listeners out there want to watch the clip we're going to link it uh, there's like a youtube clip of it that we're going to link uh, in the show notes of this episode i should watch more german television oh this is absolutely a, r- a rarity that such a thing happens but <laughs> just so peculiar man and the host was completely baffled. He's like, well, the, the programmers have to know that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, dear listeners out there, thank you so very much for tuning in to this very first episode of Studying Pixels. You do know that if you want to support us and get Studying Pixels Plus, then you can visit us on studyingpixels.com. It would also be absolutely helpful, and I really mean that. You know, when we start out with such a project, then it's really hard not to get drowned in the algorithm of, you know, new podcasts popping up everywhere. So if you want to do us a favor, then please head over to Apple Podcasts because they use this star rating system and just give us a couple of stars or give us a review, you know, any kind of activity that would really help us if you if you truly enjoy this show. You can obviously submit your thoughts and questions to podcast at studyingpixels.com. We will definitely respond and we maybe might even do something like a mailbag episode somewhat infrequently in order to just go through all of your questions and thoughts and answer them on the show. We're looking forward to hear from you and then we'll talk again next week. See you then.